Let's do it. We've got work to do, and, and today, today's message is going to be a doozy, so be ready. I mean, the key points are from the Spirit, <laughs> from the Spirit. They are not of me, so be ready, be ready. Uh, for, for some of you uh, who, you know, you heard Uriah praying, on Friday my back went out. This has never happened in my entire life because I'm fit as a fiddle. I, ser- I turn 80 every time I get into the pulpit. I don't know what happens to me. I get fit as a fiddle. Is not a phrase that I often say, but um, my back went out. I couldn't move. Could not move. Bedridden for 24 hours. Could not move. Couldn't stand up. It was crazy. I didn't even know this was a thing, right? And, uh, and you guys prayed for me, and the next morning I was up. And so I'm thankful for that. I'm a little sore. I feel like I've been in a car accident. You know, and uh, you know how your neck and your back are sore? That's how I feel. Uh, so pray that we can get through all the stuff that we have today. I want to uh, reiterate that if you have a heart for Kaya and, and for ministry here, you're invited to this leaders meeting. You are a leader. And so if, if you know that this is the place where you minister, we want you to come and be a part of that. We're going to talk about ministry activation for the summer and, and discuss what that's going to be like in preparation for the fall. And so we just want to, we want to be ready and we want you to be invited and a part of what we're doing uh, today after service. There will be pizza if that entices you at any level whatsoever. It entices me. So, so last time we were together, we met Cornelius. You guys remember Cornelius? Okay, the Roman centurion. Um, now we learned some things about, about Cornelius. He was a man of power. He was a man of authority, a man of wealth, and a man, a man of devout spirituality. Okay, uh, he, uh, you know, just f- for the sake of the setting, uh, he lived in Caesarea. Uh, he had, he was, a, he was a centurion, which meant he was an authority over a hundred men in a battalion. Okay, a man of power, and he ministered in the temple. In other words, he was fully Gentile, but he worshipped at the temple as though he was Jewish. And so he had a measure of truth. He knew that the God of the Bible was the right God. Okay? And he worshipped there. And he gave alms, which means he gave of his finances in order to minister at the temple. Uh, He recognized that to honor the God of the Bible was of great value, and that's what he chose to do. He also was a man of prayer. And he he partook in the the, uh, Jewish prayer custom, and he would pray three times a day, uh, loyally. And... What we were left with here is, is an understanding that here is a man that has everything figured out you know, from a worldly perspective. We look at his life and we say, that guy, he's got it. He's got it. Okay? He is a man uh, of, of great uh, impressiveness. And yet, he was completely lost. He was completely lost. He did not have the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He had not received the gospel yet, and so he was a man completely lost. Completely lost. He had no answers. And as a Gentile, it wasn't just him, it was also all of his kinsmen were lost. And he had no idea that he was the key to seeing all of that changed. That his prayers were the answer to the Gentile salvation. He had no idea. No idea. So he prays. And in response to his prayers, God sent an angel to him to deliver a message. Let's look at verse 3 of chapter 10. 
He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside, and he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. So the angel spoke with him, and there's a couple important things that we need to take away from that. Okay? So the first thing that the angel says is that your prayers worked. Your prayers worked. Now, that's important for Cornelius to hear, but that's more important for us to hear. We need to know that prayer works. We need to know that God hears prayer, that God is a prayer-answering God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, 6 be, says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. God hears and answers our prayers. The other thing that Cornelius learns is that when an angel tells you what to do, you do it. Okay? He says, send men to Joppa. There's a guy there who will tell you what to do. So there's not much detail there. It's just a command. You need to go send men to Joppa because there's a guy named there that you need to have come and speak with you. And he does it. He does it. Verse 7, And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was, de- uh, was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And he, when, he was declared all, when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay, so now what we're going to see today is the other side of Cornelius' story. Okay, so we've got, we've got Cornelius' story. That's what we've spent our time focusing on. Now we're going to look at Peter. We're going to look at the other side of this narrative and how these two men come together, two key men. Now here's our, here's our thesis, okay? So we're going to be asking ourselves today, will we be ready when God calls us to change? That's the question. Will we be ready when God calls us to change? Change the way we think. Change course in some way. Change vision. Are we going to be ready for that? I had a a student in in class last semester who moved into my class um, at the very beginning of the semester from another school district. His parents moved him, and he moved into my class. It was a Foundations of Drawing class, which for those of you who are my art kids from Lee Summit West know, is the easiest class. It's, this, it's this, probably the second easiest class in the entire school, second to health. Okay? And the health class is easy. Is that true at your, at your high schools? I don't know. Health class is apparently the easiest class you could possibly take. And then it's foundations of drawing. Because you can suck at drawing and take foundations of drawing. You can be awful. But as long as you get your projects turned in and you work hard, you're going to get a good grade. That's just how that works. So this kid moves into my class, and, and after a few conversations, it was clear that he was pretty mad about the fact that his parents had moved in. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't like it, right? And no matter how great things were at the new school, after just a few projects, it was pretty clear that this dude was not going to do his work. 
He just wasn't going to. And that he was choosing to protest the move by being awful at school. In other words, the change wasn't taking. Right? And, and certainly his parents had reasons for the move. I didn't ask all the details, but there were reasons, right? But he wasn't willing to engage those reasons. He wasn't willing to choose. And so in protest to change, he got an F in my class. He got, you just can't, you can't not turn the work in, right? And so he got an F, and he's going to have to take the class over again. And change is hard. When change comes into our lives, when God moves us, when he calls us, when he draws us deeper, as, as he challenges us, will we have his heart, or will we selfishly protest his plan and will? Let's pray. You guys need prayer, by the, way, by the way. Did you know that? I can see it all over your countenance. This is one of those weeks. Do you know that in your heart? This is one of those weeks. Was it one of those weeks for you? Okay. So let's pray right now that God would have his free course in our lives. Okay? That our minds wouldn't linger on, on burden. Okay? And that we would let go of confusion. And that we'd focus in. Can we do that? Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you right now. I need you. Uh, I need you. I need you to speak through me. And Lord, we need your clarity. We need uh, the fog t- to lift. And, and God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. That you would, uh, that your word would awaken our minds to who you are. And that Lord, as, as we recognize that transition is difficult, as change is difficult, as receiving new vision for our lives is difficult, we more than ever need you. We more than ever need to lay hold on you and who you are. We need Jesus Christ. We need his heart and his mind uh, so that we might sincerely do the work of the gospel. That we wouldn't do it just out of mere duty, or obligation, that it wouldn't just be an act of obedience, but it would be an act of obedience that desires your will over our own. That's what we want. And so God, deliver us from selfishness and deliver us from fear and from doubt and allow us to lean into you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so before we get into our story, I want to talk real quick. We're about to see... uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, received a vision from God, okay? And Peter receives this vision from God, and it's a very particular vision, and it's going to give him permission and prompting, okay, to begin a mission work pronouncing the gospel to the Gentile people. In other words, we're having a dispensational shift here, all right? For those of you who are familiar with that word, basically what we mean by that is things are changing in Acts, And what we're seeing is the emphasis of the gospel moving from the Jews towards the Gentile people. Moving from God's chosen people who've disregarded the Messiah to a focus on the Gentile people who have traditionally been the heathen, the wicked ones. And God's emphasis is changing. And we've been watching that happen in Acts. And this is where it officially happens. We see it officially happen here. And it begins with a vision that Peter receives. 
Now, when we say vision as it concerns Peter's, situ- Peter's situation, what we're referring to is a sensory experience that is revelatory. In other words, Peter is provided a visual and audible experience from God that allows him to have a unique insight into what God's doing. And when we see vision in Scripture, that's often what it's referring to. A man of God hearing the audible voice of God or having an angel come to him or seeing something in particular that that allows them to see that God is about to do something different. And these visions, they're very rare in Scripture. And so when they happen, we know change is coming. Now, this is very different than vision that we talk about today. We use the word vision differently. All right? Today, when a person has vision, what we mean is that the Word of God has come to them. The the Word of God has come to them. And their personal experience and the testimony of God's people is leading them in a particular spiritual direction. Okay, And so what we see here is that when someone has vision today in our dispensation of time is a little bit different than Peter. Okay, What we get is a person who has insight how to best live in God's predetermined mission according to his word. In other words, we've gotten all of the prophetic insight that we need through the Bible. And so vision for us looks like God's steering us and how to live His Word best for our personal lives. We have the revelation. Peter did not have the full revelation. Peter had about this much, which was quite a bit, but not enough. We got all of this, and now it is complete. I have a complete Word of God. And now I know that when God gives me vision, it will be according to His will and His Word, and it's a matter of Him steering me in different directions. All right? So, for example, I can say I have a vision, personally, Brandon Briscoe has a vision for Kaya, this ministry, to reach all of Kansas City with the gospel through Bible study. That's the vision that God has given me. Now, I know that it's according to His will, because I know what His Word says. Now, it's very specific in that God has shown me and the pastor of this this church that Bible study is an effective way of reaching people with the gospel. And so that's what we're doing. It's very specific, isn't it? And so my personal insight from God's word and from his spirit and from the confirmation of other elders in my life and through prayer is that we're going to do that thing. Okay? That's vision for a New Testament believer. That's how it looks. Now, listen to me. Let's talk about the similarities, though, between Peter's vision and our vision. Here, there's some similarities. There's some things to note. All right? First of all, vision is always God giving us specific and personal method for living out the mission. That's the first thing. That's what we were just talking about. Vision is always God giving us a specific and personal method for living the mission. It's about strategy. It's about how God made Yanni and about how God made Ryan. Okay, about how God made Larry to live out the mission of God. And God gives us all these little personal visions about how we do that in accordance and in submission to the authority that surrounds us. 
Are you guys with me so far? I know we're not in our story yet, and everybody loves the story part. Okay, we're not there yet. I, have to, I want to lay the stage so everybody's very clear on what's happening here. Second, vision is, it always comes with change. So when someone receives vision, it means that there's going to be change in, in their ministry life. It's going to mean that there's change in their personal life. And change is the thing that's usually the hardest for us, is change. We don't like change. When someone gets called to the mission field, someone gets separated out from what they've known in ministry, that, that, that change comes with pain. There's something to mourn as much as there's something to gain. There's something to let go of and there's something to lay hold on. And change is always difficult because letting go is a very hard thing to do. It's very hard to do. Vision always means, new vision always means that there's going to be change. And three, vision invites discomfort and hardship. When you lean into the vision, there will be trial and discomfort associated with that, with that change, with that vision. It will happen. And you have to be ready and willing to receive that. And all this will be magnified today in our text. So let's continue looking at our story. Verse 9. Receiving a vision. On the morrow, I like that, I like that word morrow, by the way. That's, that is a word that I need to start using more. Morrow. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up, up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry. Which is how I feel every time I pray. I'm like, I think I'm hungry right now. And the Lord's like, shut up, keep praying. I'm very hungry. I could use a... In our house, the, the preferred snack right now, because we do the keto thing, is this, uh, is this granola thing that my wife makes. I don't know, what, I don't know what's in it. Grass. It's like grass... <laughs> it's grass and nutmeg. I don't know. Um, anyway, so he's very hungry, and he would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. Now, this word trance uh, is often translated amazement in the New Testament. Okay, uh, he falls into amazement. Now, what it what it means is that he received a vision that allowed him to step out of his reality into the reality of God. That's what happened. And by that, he was amazed. He was amazed. He stepped out of his reality and entered into the spiritual reality of God. Now, what did that look like? Verse 11, and saw heaven opened. This is going to be real weird for, you, for those of you who have never read this, by the way. So be ready. And, and saw heaven opened. And a certain vessel descending, that word vessel means container, okay? Unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the, four, at, at the four corners and let down to the earth. And wherein were all manner, ready for it, of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him. <laughs> Listen. If this is any other context, this would sound like something out of like one of these scary horror movies. But he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Rise, kill, eat. Okay, now, let's talk about this. So what did he see? He saw a sheet 
Okay, a sheet, like the way we imagine a sheet, is a cloth. It's coming down from heaven. Okay, now it's bowed at the middle. It's bowed at the middle. It's bowed at the center because there's things inside. So it's like a vessel. And the four corners are being held up, and it descends down right in front of them. And the contents of this sheet were four-footed beasts, wild things, creeping things, and fowls of the air. And the heavenly voice instructs him, Amen, it's dinner time. It's time to eat. I, know, I knew you were hungry, man. I'm going to hook you up with some creeping things. Hey, I've, I mean, I, there's never been a point in my life where I was like, man, I'm so hungry. I could use a bag of creeping things. <laughs> that doesn't come to, to mind. It makes me think of like a, it's like a, a market in some Asian village where they're serving the creeping things. I've watched those shows on the Discovery Channel. I've seen, I've seen it. Okay. So what's the, what's the significance of this? What does this mean? Okay, well, listen to me. According to Levitical law, okay, which was what Peter adhered to as a Jew, the animals that were contained within this sheet would have all been animals that were prohibited to eat. In other words, these were all animals of abomination. Okay, now let me give you let me give you some background here. If you look at Leviticus chapter 11, verse 3, it says, Whatsoever, here's the command, Whatsoever parteth the hoof, and is cloven-footed, and cheweth the cud among the beasts, that shall, that shall ye eat. Nevertheless, these shall ye not eat of them that chew the cud, or of them that divide the hoof, as the camel, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof. He is unclean unto you. Jump to verse 7. And the swine... Though he divide the foot and be cloven-footed, yet he cheweth not the cud. He is unclean to you. Of their flesh shall ye not eat, and their carcass shall ye not touch. They, they are unclean to you. Verse 12. Whatsoever hath, not, uh, hath no fins nor scales in the waters, that shall be an abomination unto you. And these are they which ye shall, uh, ye shall have an abomination among the fowls. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. The eagle and the ossifrage. Os- and the osprey, verse 22, even these of them ye may eat, the locust after his kind, no thank you, and the bald locust after his kind, and the beetle after his kind, and the grasshopper after his kind, but all other flying creeping things which have four feet shall be an abomination unto you. And for these ye shall, uh, shall be unclean, whosoever toucheth the carcass of them shall be unclean until the even, and whosoever beareth aught of the carcass of them shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the even. Well, that's weird. That's weird. But that is how the Jews rolled. That's how they did it. Okay? God had rules. God can have rules, because He's God. And for the Jewish people, they proved their faith and their love for Him by obeying these rules. Thousands of years of that. Lots of tradition involved there. And so when we get to Peter, and he's hearing this vision, it would come come as a bit of a shock. So Peter, under God's past instruction, was taught that these animals were unclean. They are yucky. 
I mean, does anybody in here hate pork? There's like people who just dislike pork. No, no, no never mind then. <laughs> I mean, some people just think it's unclean and it's gross, right? I mean, everybody's got that food. Come on. Everybody's got a food that they're not about, okay? And to you, it's unclean, right? Now, Peter, he had a long list. This dude had a long list. By the way, I think I've told this story before. But when I was in Bogota, I ate blood sausage. That will forever be with me. Okay? And when, when I had blood sausage, I was rehearsing this passage in my mind. What God calls clean, let no man call unclean. This is clean. This is clean. I can do this. And I couldn't do it. I ate like half a sausage and I was, I was done. I was down. Yucky. Okay, now. So listen. By the nature of Peter's upbringing, he spent his whole life avoiding these types of things. Whole life. I mean, there were rules associated with this. Now he's being told to live in direct contradiction to the perspective, the nurturing, and the very intuition that he was brought up with. I mean, this goes against what was written on his mind and on his heart. Now here's my question for you. Do you ever feel like following Christ is an exercise in contradicting everything you've ever known? I mean, think about all the things that you're learning about God's Word. What discipleship has done to you. I mean, it messed you up, didn't it? Just admit it. It screwed up your whole life in a good way, right? In a good way. How discipleship has changed you, how the Word of God has changed you, how accountability has changed you. Now tell me that wasn't hard. Tell me that it hasn't been hard. Tell me that it's not hard right now. Like as though receiving God's will for your life has meant going against what you knew growing up. Amen? Any amens there? The following Jesus Christ means that you've had to go against things that your parents taught you. The following Jesus Christ means you've had to build new habits and let go of old friends. The following Jesus Christ means that you've had to abandon things that your teachers taught you. Key point number one. A lifetime of following Christ assumes a lifetime of change. There's no point in your walk where you've attained, where you've met perfection, where you've worked everything out. There's no point in your walk where that will ever be true of you. Your life as a follower of Jesus Christ will always be about constant change. Change of heart, change of mind, change of direction, change of vision. There will always be these moments of change. And if you plan to be led by God's word and spirit, that means that your perspectives that you once held dear to will now be open to change. Are you open to change? You know, oftentimes in Kaya, we will have uh, well-intentioned young men and, and women come maybe for four or five months to ministry. They'll come on Sundays. They'll listen to God's word being taught. 
They'll recognize God's word. Okay? They'll hear it and they'll, and they'll say to themselves, man, this is good. This is good. I'm starting to grow. I'm feeling this. I'm, maybe they'll sign up for discipleship. They'll go to Casa Discipleship. Okay? They'll sign the form. They'll turn it in. They'll say, yeah, I'm about the discipleship thing. But there'll be a, a moment for every one of those people of intellectual and cultural challenge. You know, maybe it's theological. Maybe if they have a hard time with a dispensational perspective, or maybe the concept, the biblical concept of eternal security, or, or maybe they have a hard time with something we say about Bible preservation and the King James. Maybe they have a hard time with that. Maybe it's a political social issue, like what the Bible says about homosexuality comes up, or substance abuse. Maybe it's an emotional thing, cultural differences. Maybe they don't like our worship set. Maybe they don't like how I preach. And so what happens? Whatever it is that comes up against them, they will often, it'll often be too much for them to handle. And rather than pressing in, they leave. They leave. And they will literally go from a place where they, say, they were saying a week ago, I know this is where God has me. To disappearing. You know, Jesus tells a story about a man like this. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 says, When he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked, asked him, okay, so there's this guy in the gospel, okay, who comes running to Jesus. This is, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, this is moments after uh, he spent time with the children, the young children, and, uh, and the disciples are getting all kinds of lessons here about ministry. Verse 17 says, and he, and he was gone forth in the, into the way. There came one running and kneeled to him and asked, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud, defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things I have observed from my youth. It's a good guy here. Cornelius-like, perhaps. Yeah? Got things figured out. Spiritual person. Devout in his faith. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Jesus always knows, doesn't he? He always knows the one thing. He always knows the line of demarcation, doesn't he? He always knows whether, what you have that you've determined not to cross. And he'll bring you right up to that line, right? Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? So for this man, his riches were that line. I'll follow Christ up to this point. But when it begins to impose upon my lifestyle, when it begins to impose upon what I've been taught, what I've predetermined correct, 
when it clashes against me culturally, when it challenges my previous theological presumptions, I, I turn away sad. I walk away grieved, having never changed, having not been challenged, headed back towards a comfortable existence. This is exactly what Alex preached on the other week. We have to be predetermined that God has the right to change our perspective, change our direction, change our culture, change our vision, change our friends, change our occupation, change our location. In order to magnify His Word, that we might live His mission for all of our lives. You know, Bethany Pearson, a nurse in Baltimore, changed directions by agreeing to marry Doug Pearson, a missionary to India. She left behind her friends, she left behind her family, she left behind her culture and comfort to obey God. Brian Bustos, liberal Christian, loved Christ but didn't have a biblical foundation, chose to be discipled and allowed God to change his views on the apostolic gifts, change his views on the authority of God's word, change his views on biblical preservation, and now this summer will be teaching dispensational theology in India. Mark Trotter, retired head pastor, changed everything about his life by moving to Georgia and becoming a missionary pastor to Malawi and travels back and forth multiple times a year, four to five times, to train pastors in the midst of his golden years. He could be enjoying his grandchildren. Instead, he goes to Malawi every couple months, chances malaria, chances illness, chances persecution because of the gospel. Riley Crockett, for all practical purposes, should be in bed this morning. Gets in her car, comes to church, sits in the pew until she can't handle it anymore. You understand? Too many of us, too many of us have a line that we're not willing to cross. I'm telling you, you are going to miss out on the greatest adventure of your life. These are just a few examples of what it means to be willing to have God change us and lead us and instruct us to look past our fears and allow ourselves to be uncomfortable for the sake of the mission. Verse 14, let's look at what Peter says. Let's talk about our common fears for a moment, shall we? Verse 14 says, But Peter said, Not so, Lord. Now that sounds crazy. But many of us say that every day. Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. In Peter's life, you know, we've, received, we've seen repeatedly in Peter's life him flounder back and forth in faith. I don't know if you know much about the Bible or the story of, of Peter, 
But he flounders back and forth. This is the guy that walks on water but doesn't have faith to sustain him. And so he sinks into the water. You know, you remember that story? He steps out of the boat, starts walking on the water. His faith begins to dwindle and he starts to sink. You know, he cuts off a soldier's ear because in his flesh he believed it was his responsibility to protect the Son of God. You know, he denies Christ three times because he fears the consequences of the crucifixion. He fears it. This is a man that goes back and forth. But by the time we get to Acts, though, we see a new Peter, don't we? Peter seems a little different, doesn't he? He's got a little more unction, full of faith, fearless in the sight of God's enemies. Beaten. Gets beaten. Gets harassed. Gets threatened. And still obeys God. That's pretty fearless, isn't it? Pretty fearless dude. You know, Jesus told Peter, and, and while Jesus was still walking with the disciples, he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee. That thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. That's a statement, isn't it? So it's interesting to see that in the midst of this revelation from God, that what he fears most is what he eats. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll go to prison. I'll, I'll even die. But if you barbecue me a shrimp, I ain't eating it. I mean, that seems like a strange line in the sand, doesn't it? You know, upon the retelling of this story, you know, Peter in the, in the next chapter, he's talking about this vision. He says, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. So what was his fear? God, I've never done that before. That was his fear. His fear was, God, I've never done that before. How could I do that? I've never done it before. I mean, with prison and death, those were all things he was accustomed to. He, Jesus Christ himself modeled that for him. He saw it. He witnessed the stoning of Stephen. He knew what it was like. He saw it. He grew familiar with it, and he was strong in that. He was fearless in that. But this, this is completely this is completely new. I've never done that before. Key point two. Fear is the invention of our limited perspectives, experiences, and failures in the flesh. That's what it should say. That's from last week. Is it up there? It's not up there. I didn't copy and paste. This has been happening to me recently. This is the tw twice in one week. I'm usually the master of the PowerPoint. I take great pride in PowerPoint. This is just God humbling me. Let me read it to you. Let me read it to you. Fear is the invention. It's an invention, isn't it? Fear. Because it's different for everything. It's every, every person has a little bit different fear. It's an invention of our limited perspectives experiences, and failures in the flesh. I failed before in that area. I can't go there again. I'm afraid. 
I've never experienced that before, God. I can't go there. I'm afraid. I've never seen or heard that before, God. I can't be challenged in that way. And so we fear. Fears are rarely rational. And they always restrict the power of the gospel in our lives. Peter needed to have his perspective changed in order to die to his fears. Verse 15. And the voice spake unto him again the second time. What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. So listen to me. God isn't asking Peter to eat unclean animals arbitrarily, is he? This is not some random request. It's not for no reason. A lot of time when God asks us to do things, what we do is we relegate it to some sort of arbitrary thing that's in our mind or in our heart, and we try to push it away, right? We repress that thing. We feel the conviction come, and then what we do is we push it away, we repress that conviction, because what we say to ourselves is, well, that seems arbitrary, God. It's probably nothing. It's probably nothing. But no, eating animals that were an abomination has a threefold purpose for Peter. The first one is, it establishes the failure of the law to make one clean. There's a doctrinal thing happening here. There's a a doctrinal precedent is being set. It establishes the fact that the failure of the law is now past. The Levitical law no longer abides. The gospel abides. Two, it establishes that in God's economy, whatever and whoever he deems clean is clean. Whether it's an animal for food or a Gentile for salvation. What he calls clean, we don't get to call unclean. Three, it tears down previously established walls of fellowship between the Jews and the Gentiles by allowing them to break bread together without despising one another. Isn't that a great thing? Everybody loves food. Everybody fellowships around food. When we break bread together, there's something magical about that. God knew that. So he tears down that wall by saying that Jews and Gentiles can eat the same thing now. Isn't that nice? So God's objective is that no laws or religious customs would hinder one's ability to share or receive the gospel. That's what God was up to. Are you guys with me? Nothing's going to get in the way. The gospel is going to go to the whole world. I'm going to make sure that happens. We're going to start right now. Sheep from heaven. Freaky animals. Rise, eat, kill. Game changer. Game changer. Yeah? But in order for this to happen, Peter needs to change in his perspective. And that is to see, from the account of God's economy, he has to see things in terms of God's Economy, God's context, God's perspective. Key point three. God brings change into our lives for one reason alone. To make us more effective ministers of the gospel. So ask yourself, think about the changes. I mean, like right now, Ann's probably asking herself a lot of questions about the changes that are coming in her life. Now, if she chose not to hear the voice of God, she could move to Ohio and find a place of comfort. I mean, I know what you're about to get into in terms of your career is hard, but you could find a place of comfort 
okay? Or she could choose to recognize that this is God making her a more effective minister and that this step in her life is actually going to draw her closer to God and give her more vision and prepare her for something better. See, change shapes our character. It prepares us and supplies us with ministry. There's going to be new people to minister to. It builds faith and reliance on God's word versus our interpretation of God's word. Ultimately, it makes us more effective in his mission, which brings him glory. So, verse 17. You guys with me? i got to bring this baby home. So you gotta, you got to hang with me. This is the good part. And it is hotter than a biscuit in here. I mean, isn't it? It's hot in here. And I could lose you real easy. No, if you're comfortable, I'm, I've been sweating buckets up here. All right, so here we go. Verse 17. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. Uh, Too late, brother. Make a decision. It's game time. And called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. And while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore and get down and go with them, doubting nothing. For I have sent them. You know, Peter's standing there, still in the midst of his doubt, wrestling with God on the matter of whether or not to eat that food. Then God leaves him with no choice but to choose. Uh, Time's up. It's time to decide. What are you going to do? There's some Gentiles at the gate. I told you, I told you, What I call clean is clean. How are you going to react? You know, whether we like it or not, it's our responsibility to commit our actions to God. And our thought thought life and our heart, it'll follow. You know, Proverbs 16.3. You guys familiar with this? This is in the discipleship lessons. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. In other words, you don't have to like it. Just obey. Your heart and mind will get there. You know why? Because you're kind of stupid. You're kind of stupid, and your heart is a liar, and your feelings, they go everywhere, and they're not to be trusted. And so if you obey the thing that you know is true, eventually your heart and mind will rest where God's heart and mind rests. That's, that's how it'll work. Key point number four, our doubts dissolve when we choose to obey, obey despite them. Our doubts begin to dissolve. You got doubts? I know you do. They begin to dissolve when we choose to obey despite them. That's the good news. You don't have to be smart. You just have to obey. You have to have just enough grit, just enough determination in your heart, just enough to say, I'm going to obey regardless of whether or not I understand this or how it feels to me today. I'm going to obey because I know it's true. Now, doubt, doubt is poison, though. Doubt is poison. So it's no surprise when God says through His Spirit, Listen, this is the good part, guys. This is the part I've been wanting to get to. You ready? God says, listen, he says, go with them. Doubt nothing, for I have sent them. Okay, now you didn't know, but this is the key. This is the key. God gave them the key here to unlock it. 
This is the key to overcoming almost every doubt within our vision. Every fear within our change. This is it. You ready? Go with them. He says, go with them. In other words, let them receive you. Let them receive you. Think about the changes in your life. So so much of it, since we already know that it has to do with ministry, change in our life has to do with how God is moving us and, 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 and provoking us and prompting us to his will and to his word and to preach the gospel. Changes are supposed to do that for us. They're supposed to do that for us, right? Now when he says, go to them, what he's saying is allow them to receive you. These are the people that he was supposed to minister to. Who are the people that you're supposed to minister to? Are you afraid of them? God says, let them receive you. In other words, whatever your fears are about other people, if you're, say you're a respecter of persons, say, say you are concerned about what people think about you and how you're going to be received. Everyone is that person. Everyone feels that way sometimes. The instruction is, let them receive you. Go do that work. Go be with them. Be accepted. Enter into to their, to their culture. Enter into their, uh, their lifestyle. Empathize with them. Be with them. Minister to them. Let them receive you as a minister. And if we thought that way, a lot of times we would get over our fear, fear real quick, wouldn't we? Let them receive you. Oh, wait a second. God, you've called me to this. You're going to be with me. They're going to receive me. I just need to let them receive me. I need to not kick against the pricks. I need to not fight against what you're doing. Let them receive me. Go to the people who are supposed to receive me because God, you've drawn me into this work. Next he says, doubt nothing. Doubt nothing. This is what that means. Know me more. Doubt nothing. Know me more. Know how great and jealous my love is. Know me more. Know how much I love people and doubt nothing. See, doubt is a byproduct of not being close to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in an intimate and loving relationship. The closer you are to Jesus, the more confident you become in who you're supposed to be. So he says, doubt nothing. In other words, trust me fully. Grow close to me. What are your doubts? Grow close to God. What are your fears? What are the things that you don't want to change? What are the things that you're struggling with? Draw close to Jesus, and the doubts will lift. Third, I have sent them. In other words, receive them. They receive you, now you receive them. Lay hold on them, make them your work, make them your friends. It's not good enough for you to be honored in their midst. Let them be honored in yours. Let's make this a mutual thing. Invite the Gentiles in. Adopt them. Accept them. Okay. Dang it, dang it, dang it. We're going really long here. Okay, listen to me. Obeying by kicking and screaming is not ideal. Ask, ask Jonah. Jonah went kicking and screaming. Not ideal. It's preferable that we not just have a mind to obey, but have the mind of God so that our obedience 
and our heart attitude are undivided. Undivided. That our heart and our mind would be doing the same thing. See, this only happens when we place our heart in the sincerity of God's will. We own His agenda. We have His heart. We have His revealed word. We can go anywhere and we can do anything when we know Him for who He is. Key point five. For a mature minister, God's words are enough to build sincerity within our obedience. Because it's not good enough just to obey. Because you know what? If you do that, if you just follow the Lord out of duty, guess what? In time, bye-bye, you'll be gone. It's not good enough to know Christ from a position of duty alone. I want to know his love. I want to have his mind. I want to have his heart. And so for a mature minister, when God speaks words to you, when you hear his words and he says, receive them, doubt nothing, let them receive you, and he gives you that instruction, you adopt it as your own. You take it into your heart. And the sincerity will be born out of obedience. Verse 21. I'm going to read this to you and we're going to conclude. Okay? Verse 21. Then Peter went down to the, to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and good report among all the nations of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and, and, and to hear words of thee. Peter had the sincerity of God. His mind changed. His heart changed. Listen, they received him. He did just as God asked. He did just as God asked. He allowed himself to be received. Peter's sincerity is revealed another way. He said unto them, Know ye how that is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one uh, of another nation. But God hath shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for. I asked therefore, what intent you have sent for me? In other words, he's not doubting anymore, is he? He says, the thing that God told me I now believe. God told me that anything that I once thought was unclean, that he calls clean, I call clean. And I'm with him. I'm on the same page. And I doubt nothing. Verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. He receives them. He follows God's instruction to a T. He owns it. He believes it. It's him. He takes on God's mind. He takes on his heart. And the change that once he was once saying to God, no God, no way, no way, is beginning to happen in his life because he chose to obey and put his faith in Jesus Christ. What has God given you in terms of vision? What has God revealed through his word, his ministry, and his people? What has he been asking you to change in terms of your perspectives? Your perspectives. How is he asking you to change them? Have you brought it before your Bible study leader for prayer? Or have you ignored it? Are you willing to obey even if it's hard? Let's close in prayer and then you will be dismissed. But listen to me. If you have anything that you need prayer about, there will be a few people that are standing by that want to talk with you. That want to pray with you. 
So if your heart is pricked, and if you know that there's something off, and you know that there is a line that you're not willing to cross for the gospel's sake, it's time to cross it. Let's deal with that now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, forgive me for having gone long. But Lord, this testimony of Peter is so precious in how he receives your instruction and how he owns it and how he believes it and, how, and his maturity shows. God, I pray that we would learn from that. And the Lord, if we have any perspective or cultural predilection or even just a theological position that we haven't been willing to surrender to you in order to learn and to grow and to be changed for the sake of your ministry, Lord, would you help us? Would you deliver us from obstinance? Would you deliver us from hard-heartedness? Would you deliver us from refusing people? Who are the people that we refuse? God, take away our doubt. Take away our fear. Make us willing to change. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.